to welcome you tonight as we're going to conclude our four-week study on the four Gospels, the four uh, biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. We're, uh, we'll conclude with the Gospel of John tonight. And then uh, next week, Lord willing, you know, when we, uh, we went through the Old Testament and I, uh, I got to the major prophets and was kind of intimidated by uh, Isaiah having in 66 chapters. <laughs> and so, and so, well, once I start that, uh, you know, that could take a while. But uh, so we skipped the major prophets and we went and did all the minor prophets and went back and did some wisdom literature, some uh, Ecclesiastes. And, uh, uh, but I have decided... I think, uh, Lord willing, we will attack the book of Isaiah uh, next week and uh, begin chapter 1 of 66 chapters, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, uh, so Isaiah, uh, uh, Lord willing, is, is what we'll, we'll do next, next week. But tonight, we're going to finish up the study of the four Gospels, uh, the differences, the uh, distinctive nature of each of the Gospels, and the... And the specific aspect of the person and work of Jesus that each of the four gospel writers uh, emphasize. They, they all talk about all of his characteristics, but each gospel writer has a specific emphasis. And so today we'll see the emphasis of John uh, writing as an elder of the church to the church, telling the church, behold your God. And he focuses on the divinity, the deity of Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. So uh, that'll be our, our theme uh, today. So, uh, but before we do, I know there are prayer concerns, things that we... Uh, uh, one thing I did, I did uh, contact the guy about the pews and told him that the church approved the sale. And he said that uh, he is going to look around. John chapter 1. Let's, uh, let's turn to the, the Gospel of John. And the key verse of the Gospel of John is right there in the introduction, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Matthew begins his Gospel in Nazareth as, as an angel appears to Joseph in a dream to announce the birth of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark begins in the wilderness with the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist proclaiming, prepare the way for the Lord. And Luke's Gospel begins in Jerusalem as an angel appears to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and announces uh, the birth of John the Baptist. But John begins his Gospel in heaven. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so John begins his gospel in heaven. And we've talked about the fact that Matthew was a Jew, speaking to the Jews, declaring to them, behold your king. He focused on the, uh, the promises of the Messiah, the Christ, the King, and, uh, and he was showing clearly that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies, all that was written by the prophets about the expected Messiah. Jesus was that Messiah. The Jews rejected her King, and then the Gospel ends with Jesus telling his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. 
And uh, we talked about uh, Mark pre presented Jesus as a servant, as the, uh, the, the, the perfect servant. Mark, a servant of the Lord, talking to other servants of the Lord, pointing to the perfect servant as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Luke presented uh, Jesus as the righteous man. Uh, 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 Luke focuses on the, the humanity of Jesus, the, uh, uh, the fact that he came as a man and identified with humans and with sinners and came as the son of Adam to be the savior of the whole world. Jew, Luke is a Gentile declaring to the Gentiles, behold the man, the savior of the world. And now we turn our attention to John. And John, uh, an elder of the church, writing to the church, and he focuses on the deity of Christ, the divinity of Christ. He focuses on the fact that uh, uh, Jesus is the Son of God, the Word, the Word of God, that was with God, that was God, that came flesh, the Son of God, God the Son, full of grace and truth. And so, uh, John, the elder of the church, writing to the church, behold your God. And so, the four Gospels, we see a complete picture of who Jesus is. Behold your King, behold the servant of the Lord, behold the, the man, the righteous man, the Savior of the world, and behold your God. And so, we see why there are four Gospels. Those four perspectives bring to us a complete view of who Jesus is, the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who the shepherds came to see, the one that the wise men worshipped, the one that the king tried to destroy, the, the boy that confounded the, the rabbis in the temple at the age of 12, uh, the man that walked on the earth for 40, 30 years, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, casting out demons, feeding the hungry, raising the dead, the one who died on Calvary's cross, and rose from the dead, and 40 days later departed from heaven as he was carried, uh, departed from the earth, being carried up to heaven. That man, that servant, that king is none other than the Son of God, God the Son. And that's the emphasis that John makes in his gospel. And so, uh, what do we know about the human author? What do we know about John? All right, he, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He never uses his name in the gospel. When he talks about himself, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, and so he was one of the 12. What else do we know about John? Okay, at the cross, John was the only of the, only of the apostles at the cross, at the foot of the cross. Uh, and as Jesus was bearing the sins of the world, he provided for his mother, entrusting her to the care of the disciple that he loved. Woman, behold your son, and John, behold your mother. His brothers at that point were still unbelievers. And so Jesus, and, and obviously Joseph had already passed away, and so John was entrusted with the care of the mother of Jesus, with, with, uh, with the care of Mary. What other facts do we know about John? Uh, 
Okay, he was, he was the one of the apostles who lived, to be a, who lived to old age, and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Old Testament. And so we actually know quite a bit about John just from his own writings. Uh, we know a lot about John because all four of the gospel writers mention him. And then we also know that he wrote three letters to the church, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. He received the vision of, uh, uh, of the consummation of human history when Jesus takes his rightful place and, and reigns as king, destroys his enemy, gathers his people, establishes his everlasting kingdom. And so John uh, wrote that as well. And so John has written a good, uh, a good portion of our New Testament. The Gospel of John, three letters, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we know some from his, from his writings. And we also know that John had a brother named James, and James and John were the sons of Zebedee, and Zebedee was uh, evidently a prosperous fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He owned his own boat, and in addition to his sons, he had hired servants that helped uh, in his fishing business, and so Zebedee was probably a, a, a rather successful fisherman owning a, a fishing business, and when Jesus called James and John to himself, they left their nets, they left their father, they left the servants in the boat, and they followed Jesus. Uh, and it's interesting, probably, John is probably the younger brother of James, because every time that James and John are mentioned together, James is mentioned first, which would give an indication that he was probably the older son of Zebedee, but uh, that's not conclusive, but, uh, but most likely he was the younger son uh, and his brother James. And, um, and their mother was probably, well, their mother was Salome, and Salome contributed financially to the ministry of Jesus and may have even been a sister to the Lord's mother Mary. Uh, if you look at the, you compare the names of the people who are at the cross, uh, you, and you do the process of elimination, there's a pretty good chance that Salome was the mother, uh, the, the, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, which would make John and Jesus, what? First cousins. Uh, that's speculation. The text doesn't specifically say that, but if you do some analysis of the women at the cross, uh, you might come to the conclusion that Salome and Mary were sisters. And so Jesus called James and John away from the fishing business and made them his permanent disciples. And James and John, along with Peter, filled the, uh, formed the inner circle of the disciples. All right, so there's 12 disciples, but there are three that are always mentioned first, and there are three that are singled out sometimes for special revelation, for special events. Uh, the raising of, uh, of the daughter of Jairus is an example. Peter, James, and John go. The mountain of transfiguration, only Peter, James, and John are there. Uh, going deep into Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John are there. And so they are the inner circle. Uh, and uh, and, and so, so Peter, James, and John formed that inner circle of the twelve, the, the three 
that were the closest to Jesus and were the witnesses of, of the most of, of the miracles, the signs of Jesus. So much of what John writes about, he writes as an eyewitness. Um, and then after the, uh, the, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, John became one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. We see him ministering with, with Peter. James, his brother, was the first of the apostles to be killed. Uh, his, his death, his execution is recorded in the book of Acts. Herod put him to the sword. And so Peter and John were the leaders of the church at Jerusalem uh, after the uh, ascension of Jesus. And as we mentioned, he ended his life as a very old man, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, where he received and recorded the visions we have in the book of Revelation. And what... That was Jesus' half-brother. Yes, so James, the apostle, died before the book of James was written. And, and, and also the elder James, uh, in Acts 15, James the apostle had already been put to death. And so the, uh, the elder of the church, uh, that James, is the half-brother of the Lord. And he's also the one who wrote the book of James. Um, but John is sometimes called the apostle of love. Because he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, and he focuses on, uh, you know, Jesus, how, how will men know that we're his disciples, that we love one another? If we love Jesus, we will follow his commands. First John talks about, uh, you know, God is love, and if we do not love, we are not of God. How can we love our brother if, who we have seen? If we, or how can we love God who we've not seen if we don't love our brother who we have seen? And he talks often about love. And so some people call John the apostle of love. But you know who you know what Jesus called James and John? Sons of thunder. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. We think of John as the apostle of love. Jesus called him a son of thunder. Uh, when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, James and John offered to call down fire from heaven on a Samaritan village because they would not let Jesus pass through because he was had his face set toward Jerusalem. And uh, John also said that uh, the only time John is mentioned by him, uh, speaks of by himself apart from James, it says John also said that he saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name and he told him to stop. <laughs> stop, stop casting out demons in Jesus' name because you're not one of us. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, John struggled to balance truth and love, but toward the end of his life he brought that into balance and we... Uh, know that he was called the Apostle of Love, and in these books that he writes, he certainly records for us truth. And so, uh, so that's, that is John, and, uh, and we know a lot about John. And now John, an elder in the church, and this is the last of the Gospels written late. Uh, you know, the church already has Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and now John, an elder in the church, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes his pen in his hand, and he writes this letter to the church to tell the church, behold your God. And so he emphasizes the deity, the divinity of Jesus Christ. And he begins by calling Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, uh, what, what, 
what might be the significance of that title, The Word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. The Word of God, yeah. So Jesus is the, the Word of God incarnate, become flesh, the perfect revelation of God. So, so the Word, a words can make understandable that which cannot be seen, um, that which is invisible. And John calls Jesus the Word four times in this section. And then we look down at how John closes out the section in verse 18. He says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So God is invisible. We can't see God, but the Word of God makes God understandable to us. And, and so a, an analogy, you know, I, if I have a thought in my head, it's invisible to you. You, thank the Lord, you can't know <laughs> what I'm thinking all the time. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know, uh, you know, I have a thought in my brain, it is uh, indiscernible to you, it's invisible to you, but how can I make you know what I'm thinking? Yeah, I put it into words. So I take my thoughts, I put my thoughts into words, and then you can understand the invisible. And, and that's really what, what John is saying. So God is invisible, but the word has made him known to us, has made him understandable to us, has revealed him to us. And so the word of God is God's revelation of himself, of his mind, of his heart. And so Jesus is the perfect revelation of the father he makes the invisible god known to us um, and the word is a means of communication the word is a is a way that uh, god transfers information and knowledge to us he can express himself he can reveal his character and his nature reveal his will to us through the word through jesus and so in jesus christ god is communicating his love and life to us. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so in, in Jesus, the word of God, God is communicating truth and life and glory to us. We might behold his glory full of grace and truth. Uh, and the word is a means of revelation. By his words, the speaker reveals his character, his nature. And Jesus himself will say that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Jesus is the overflow of the heart of God, uh, the revelation of, of God's heart and his will. In Jesus, God fully reveals his attributes, his character, his power, his wisdom, his holiness, his grace. And so by saying Jesus is the word, the word of God become flesh, John is saying Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. He is the perfect revelation of the heart of God, the character of God, the purpose of God, the justice of God, the love of God, the righteousness of God. Jesus communicates the truth of God to us. And so uh, the word, uh, in the beginning was the word, and then we read the word was with God. All right, so if the word was with God, that means there is a distinction. 
between the Word and God. Right? If the Word is with God, there is a, a distinction between the Word and God for them to be with one another. And so this helps us uh, uh, begin to develop our doctrine of the Trinity, that there is a distinction between God and the Word. There is a, 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 a plurality of personality. The Word was with God, and so uh, while Jesus is the perfect revelation of God, the fact that he was with God reveals a distinct person, a distinct personality, a distinction between God and the Word. But then we read, and the Word was God. So now we see unity. <laughs> and so there's unity that the Word is God. He is fully God. God in every way. Uh, the the the. He was in the beginning with God. He's co-eternal with God. He is the creator. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. And so the word is fully God. And so you see this unity and the, the plurality. He was with God, distinct from God, and yet he was fully God. And again, this... Uh, this uh, helps us develop our, our doctrine of the Trinity. The Word was God. He was not just a revelation of God. He is not just a revealer of God. He is not just a manifestation of God. He is God. And uh, He doesn't just reveal God to us, but He is revealed to us as God. He is not manifest God to us, but He is the manifestation of God. He is fully God. Um, and uh, so at the same time, with God and fully God, one with the Father, yet distinct from Him, a mystery that we receive by faith. Uh, we believe in one God, eternally existent, in three divine persons, equal in power and glory and majesty, but also with distinct personalities and distinct personhood, uh, that relate to us in, in different ways, in ways that we need. So, uh, so again, you know, John gets right to the point. Jesus is God. Behold your God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Nobody has seen God, but the Word uh, but the only begotten Son, who was in the bosom of the Father, has declared him to us. All right, so Jesus is, is God, and he's also presented as the creator. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And he is presented as the giving, the giver of life. He is uh, in the beginning with the Father, and he is the source of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so at the very beginning of John's gospel, he makes it emphatically clear that Jesus is God. He is fully God. He is God the Son, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, full of grace and truth. And so uh, 
So he, he begins, he declares him to be God. And then, and then we move to the preaching of John the Baptist. In the preaching of John the Baptist, we've seen John the Baptist in all three Gospels before. But uh, uh, the, the way John presents the preaching of John the Baptist is, is different. And John doesn't record anything, John the Baptist saying anything about repentance. You know, when you read the other three Gospels, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's at the baptism of repentance. And, uh, uh, but John says nothing about, uh, nothing about repentance. Instead, and, and, and John doesn't announce that the kingdom of God is, he, is at hand. John simply declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He tells the people that, that he is not the Christ. He is the one crying in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. And he says, the, the one that's coming after me, I'm not worthy to unloose his sandals. And then verse 29 of chapter 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so John covers the preaching of John the Baptist in a, in a unique way with John declaring that this is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and also speaking of the Holy Spirit coming down and remaining on Jesus, which this is unique. This is first time that happens in the Scripture. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person for a specific task and then be withdrawn. You know, you remember the, the story of Samson. And Samson uh, has this great strength. And when Delilah entices him to give away the secret of his strength and his hair is cut, Samson awakes and he doesn't realize that the Spirit of the Lord has left him. You remember Saul, anointed as king, and uh, the Spirit of God was withdrawn from Saul. But now Jesus coming up out of the water, the Spirit of God comes upon him and remains. And John had been told, the one upon whom you see the Spirit come and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, uh, John plainly declares, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. And the call of the first disciples is also unique in the Gospel of John. Uh, the, we see here that, that the first two disciples were first disciples of John the Baptist. The next day, John stood with two of his disciples, verse 35. And then verse 36, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And so the first two disciples were first disciples of John the Baptist. We see later that one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and uh, the other is unnamed. 
But most scholars believe that John is here also referring to himself, that he was, uh, that, uh, that John was one of the two that, uh, that followed Jesus because of the testimony of John the Baptist. And Andrew went and got Peter, and John likely went and got James and said, we have found, uh, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Verse 41. And then also the call of Philip and Nathaniel is unique. This is the only gospel where we read of the, the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. Jesus called Philip, and Philip ran and found Nathaniel. There's kind of a pattern. Andrew goes and finds Peter. Uh, Philip is called, and he goes and, follow, and, 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 and finds Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel, we have found him who Moses, uh, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And how does, Nanu, how does Nathaniel respond to that, that Jesus of Nazareth is the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about? Yeah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? You've got to be kidding me. Jesus of Nazareth? And then as Nathanael approached Jesus, Jesus said of Nathanael, here is a true Israelite in, indeed. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Remember in the book of Mark, the only, the only people who declared Jesus to be the Son of God were demons or the Roman centurion. But here Nathaniel, the, the, the fourth disciple, immediately declares, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus basically said to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree and you believe you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and, uh, and then he refers to uh, in verse 51, most assuredly I say to you hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Uh, probably a reference to Jacob's ladder, Jacob's vision. You remember Jacob had the vision of a ladder stairway into heaven with angels descending and ascending. And so Jesus is the, the door, the way to heaven. And so, uh, so John, right there in the first chapter, you see, we see a lot of uniqueness focused on the fact that Jesus is fully God. And then the rest of the book, it kind of develops, there's, there's two themes that run through kind of the organization of the book of John. And that is the, uh, the signs that Jesus performed, seven of them. Uh, or eight, if you count the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Himself, which I like to count, uh, and then, uh, but then that that uh, messes up the the, the seven thing, <laughs> because there are also seven I am statements, and so these these are kind of the organization of the book of John. After this introductory part, we see the book of the signs, and interspersed among that are the I am statements that Jesus makes, and uh, John himself says, you know, that if everything that Jesus did was written down, there wouldn't be enough room in all of the world for the books that would have to be written. 
But John says, these things are written. These things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so uh, chapter 20, verse 30, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, out of all the things that Jesus did, the, 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 the many, 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 many miracles that Jesus did, all the things that there wouldn't be enough room in all the world for the books that would have to be written, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chooses seven of them, seven signs that reveal a specific aspect of who Jesus is, his work and his character, and he reveals these so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And so that's kind of the organization of the book of John around these seven signs. And to understand the sign, either before it or after it, there will be a discourse that helps us understand the meaning of the sign. And so Jesus performs a sign, but it's not necessarily important in and of itself, but it's important about what it reveals about Jesus. And in the, the, the speech that Jesus gives either before or after the sign helps us interpret the meaning of the sign. And so what are the seven signs? What's the first sign that Jesus performed? He turns water into wine. And that the discourse that helps us to understand that comes after when Jesus goes to the temple. So Jesus is at a wedding. They have run out of wine. And so he commands that these ceremonial cleansing pots be filled to the brim. And so these pots that the Jews would use for their ceremonial cleansing, for their ritual preparation for worship uh, under the old covenant, they are filled to the brim. And Jesus turns the water into wine, showing that he has come to fulfill all of the ceremonies of the law to fulfill the old covenant and the good old covenant is being replaced by a better new covenant. The, the master of the banquet says, you know, most people bring out the, uh, bring out the good wine at the beginning until everybody's taste buds are kind of deadened, and then they bring out the junk after everybody has well drunk, but you have kept the best for now. And so Jesus is bringing a better covenant. And the, the law, the ceremony, filled to the brim, doesn't bring satisfaction, doesn't bring life, but Jesus has come and brought a new and better covenant. God has saved the best for last in, in the coming of his son, Jesus. And then he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple, showing the same thing. And he says, destroy this temple, all this ceremony, all this ritual, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. 
And the disciples later understand he was talking about his body. After he'd risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so the first sign is turning the water into wine. It says that Jesus has brought a new and better covenant. Fulfills the law, fulfills the rituals and ceremonies, and brings a new and better covenant. And then the, the second sign is over in chapter 4. We see that Jesus heals a royal official son while he is over 20 miles away. And so this royal official comes. He, uh, he, he speaks to, to Jesus. And, uh, uh, and, and his, his, Jesus is in Cana. The nobleman's son is sick in Capernaum, which is four, 20 miles away. And Jesus says, go on your way, your son lives. And so that is showing us that Jesus, even though he has become a man, he's become flesh, he is not limited by time and space. We talked about the emphasis on his hands in Mark, where he would reach out and touch the leper. He reached out and touched Peter's mother-in-law, grabbed her by the hand and helped her up. Uh, but, but here, Jesus doesn't have to be present. He's over 20 miles away. He's not constrained by time and space. And so he is able to heal the noble official's son 20 miles away. And that is, uh, uh, you know, and that meaning comes in what Jesus said in chapter, earlier in chapter 4, to the woman at the well. God is spirit. He's not confined to a place. You don't have to go to this mountain. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. God is spirit. Jesus transcends time and space. And we see that in the healing of the, the uh, royal official's son. And then we flip over to chapter 5. And we see the healing of the uh, man at the pool of Bethesda. A certain man was there who had an infirmity. 38 years and Jesus heals him and um, why was Jesus healing this man who had been lame for 38 years why is it controversial did it on the Sabbath Saturday <laughs> did it on the Sabbath yeah he heals him on the Sabbath and so uh, uh, you've been sick for 38 years you can wait till tomorrow, <laughs> wait till sunset and heal him. You don't have to heal him on the Sabbath, violating the rules. And, 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 and on top of that, you told him to pick up his bed. You told him to work on the Sabbath. And so, uh, so uh, Jesus heals the man at the pool to demonstrate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and that he is working just as his father is. Verse 17, the key to understanding that Jesus answered, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. And so if Jesus quit working on the Sabbath, the world would fly apart <laughs> because he's holding everything together by the power of his word. And so, uh, so Jesus is doing the work of the father. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, the Jews sought the more to kill him because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And then in chapter 6, we see the feeding of the 5,000, the only, the only uh, 
miracle that all four gospel writers record with the exception of the resurrection of Jesus himself, his, his own resurrection from the dead. We talked about that the first night when we introduced the, the four gospels. And uh, John's emphasis is uh, defined for us in the discourse that follows. He feeds the 5,000 and then he tells them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Moses fed 1.2 million people with manna for 40 years, and that's what the people wanted. But Jesus said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever, uh, whoever, believe, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in the Son of Man will never be thirsty. John 6.35, he interprets the sign of feeding the 5,000 when he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And so that's the, uh, the sign of feeding the 5,000. And then after that, immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on the water. The sign, Jesus walks on the water to demonstrate to his disciples that he is... Uh, that he is the Lord of nature. Uh, there's no reason to be afraid. Even in the storms of life, he is the ruler of of, of, uh, over nature. As he, uh, as he walks to his, uh, uh, to his disciples, he comes to them. He says in chapter 6, verse 20, It is I, do not be afraid. And, and actually what he says there, verse 20, our English translation tried to make it in a good English sentence, but the Greek is, he says, I am. I, I am, do not be afraid. And so he's using the same construction that he uses there, ego and me, I, I am, do not be afraid. He is the ruler of nature, he is God, and he, uh, there is no reason to be afraid, even in the storms of life. Jesus is the creator and the ruler of nature. And then the next sign, the healing of the man born blind, over in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind. And here is where the pool of Siloam is mentioned as well. He's told to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, Ken was talking about the discovery of that pool in, in Jerusalem. They're excavating that. Architectures or, or, or archaeologists are, are uh, excavating the pool of Siloam as we speak in Jerusalem now. If they've, they've discovered this pool. Um, but the, uh, the man born blind in chapter 9, Jesus interprets this miracle for us in verse 39 of chapter 9. For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And so Jesus has come to those who recognize their need, their spiritual blindness, their spiritual deadness. Jesus has come to give sight. But those who think they're good and that they can see and they know all truth, Jesus has come to make them blind. And we see that 
demonstrated in the healing of the man born blind. And then the next sign, the final sign we see in John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And uh, what discourse, what does Jesus say that helps us understand the, the, or that, that the, the rising of Lazarus helps us to understand about Jesus? Huh? His, yep, his, and his, his, his uh, compassion, his weeping. But what does he tell Martha? Martha says, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he will rise at the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so he raised Lazarus from the dead to show, to prove, to demonstrate that he is the resurrection and the life. And so that's the seventh of the sign. And then the eighth is Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. His own resurrection that is in John chapter 20. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that what he said on the cross is true. When Jesus died... His last words were, it is finished. It has been accomplished. It has been paid in full. That he has done everything that the Father has sent him to do. He has paid for the sins of everyone the Father has given to him. It has been accomplished. It has been finished. And Jesus' own resurrection from the dead proves that it is finished. That it has been accomplished. That everything is required for our salvation. Christ has paid. And so uh, the, the Gospel of John is organized around those signs. Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you might have life in his name. And so John organizes his, his book around these seven signs. And the discourse around the sign helps us understand and interpret the sign. All right, another theme that kind of runs through, and, 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 and they kind of intertwine a little bit, as we've already seen, but are the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. But he begins in, in chapter 8, when uh, uh, his opponents are arguing with him in the temple and, uh, uh, and, 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 and trying to find a way to, to trap Jesus. And so in, uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching in the temple and uh, talking about Abraham and how uh, these people are not the children of Abraham, uh, but they are the children of Satan because he is a liar and the father of lies and they're doing the will of their father, the devil. And so there's this discussion and this debate and... and uh, in, in John 8, 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Again, ego a me, I, I am. And Jesus here is using 
the divine covenant name of God. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and said, I'm sending you to Egypt to lead my people out to this mountain to worship me. And Moses said, when I get there and they say, I say, the God of your fathers appeared to me. And they say, what is his name? What shall I say? God said, I, I am. I am who I am. You tell them, I am has sent me to you. And so here Jesus is using the divine name of God before Abraham was, I, I am. He is claiming to be God. And the people who heard him knew that's what he was claiming. So they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple because his hour had not yet come and he had not come to be stoned to death. He'd come to be lifted up on a tree. But he clearly declares that he is God and the people who heard him knew that's what he was saying and so that's why they tried to kill him. And so this construction, I, I am, is a construction that Jesus uses throughout the Gospel of John to show a metaphor that help us understand who Jesus is. We already talked about the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever believes in him will never be hungry. He who comes to him will never thirst that Jesus is the source and the sustainer of life. And he has come down from heaven to give life to all that believe and all that the Father gives him. He will not lose a single one. John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And then in John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so Jesus is the light of the world. He is the revelation of God. He's the revelation of life. We are not left to stumble around and feel our way through the darkness. No, the light has shined. The light has shown Jesus is the light of the world. He shows us the way. He, not just, he doesn't just show us the way. He bees the way for us. He is the way. Uh, and so Jesus has come to give us the light of life, to show us uh, how to uh, be forgiven for, of our sins and to have life with the Father. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light of the light of life. And then in John chapter 10, we see two. John chapter 10, first of all, he says, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so Jesus is the door, the way to salvation. We enter into life and to safety. Through the door. Jesus, the door to the sheep. He's how we enter into life. And then that door closes and keeps us safe. He is the door to the sheep. And closely related to that, he also says, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, uh, drawing from the great image in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Jesus is the perfect revelation of the good shepherd. He comes and he lays down his life for his sheep that they might have uh, uh, forgiveness of sins, that they might have everlasting life. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life and takes it up again because of the command that he received from his father to be the savior of his sheep. And then we talked about uh, John 11. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him will live even though he might die. And he who believe, lives and believes shall never die. He is the resurrection and the life. And then uh, on the last night of his earthly life, Jesus issues two more I am statements. One in the uh, uh, 14th chapter. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going away. I'm returning to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may also be. And he says, you know where I go and the way you know. And poor old Thomas, poor old Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And how does Jesus respond? I am the way. <laughs> you know the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the way to the Father. The only way to the Father, the exclusive way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus did not come to the world to show us the way. He came to be for us the way and to, uh, to bring us to the Father through his death and resurrection. And then finally, John chapter 15, that same night, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. And so again, he is the source of our life. He is the source of our fruitfulness. We abide in him, abide in the vine. We are worthless branches. And if we do not abide in the vine, we shrivel up and die and get thrown in the, in the fire. But if we abide in the vine and draw our life from him, then we will bear much fruit. Jesus is the source of life, the source of fruitfulness. We are to abide in him and abide in his word because he is the vine. He is the source of our life and our sustenance. And so Jesus says, I am the vine. And so John's gospel organized around these seven signs and these seven I am statements that help us see the divinity of Jesus. And in case we miss it, <laughs> he gives us a clear statement in chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, in case we miss it, he, he tells old Philip, after he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Well, then old Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be sufficient for us. Just show us the Father. And you see Jesus go, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the work. And so Jesus gives a clear statement of his own divinity to his disciples in chapter 14. So John, the elder of the church, writes to the disciples, I mean to the church, Behold your God. Matthew, a Jew writing to the Jews, Behold your king. Mark, a servant of the Lord, writing to other servants of the Lord, Look at the perfect servant. Luke, the Gentile, writing to Gentiles, Behold the righteous man, the savior of the world. And John, the elder of the church, writing to the church, Behold your God. Do you see why there's four gospels? <laughs> that come together and show us those beautiful aspects of the person and work of Jesus. Behold your God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, sent from the Father to save His people. To take the punishment that we deserved. And God raised Him from the dead to show that it is finished. It is accomplished. The debt has been paid. And we are called to turn from sin and trust in Christ alone. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Behold your God. All right, questions about the Gospel of John or any of the four Gospels, anything we've talked about in the review of the Gospels? All right, well, next week we will look at the gospel according to Isaiah. <laughs> we will see uh, uh, Isaiah 800 years before the Lord, uh, before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah uh, speaks of the one who will come. Uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for this study and thank you for the four gospels that give us the the picture of Jesus that we need, the full picture from different perspectives, different aspects of his life and his work and his ministry. And Lord, we thank you that he's our king, that he's the righteous and faithful servant, the savior of the world, and God of gods, full of glory, grace, and truth. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us the grace to behold our God. And to respond to him with faith and confidence and trust. Believing that he is the good shepherd. He is the way. He is the resurrection and the life. And may we believe. And may we have life in his name. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.